Uh, Mark 11, verses 1 to 25. So as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. And as they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus... And threw their coats over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, so he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the temples of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written... My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, As they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen... It will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. This little passage at the end of the reading that we had uh, in verses kind of seven, uh, 22 down to 25 really hits on the themes of mission and prayer. Mission and prayer. Um, we're going to learn this morning from Jesus 
that the local church is to be a house of prayer, verse 17, which is to be characterized by praying with faith and praying with forgiveness. Let's, let's pray as we come to God's word, shall we? Lord, we thank you for the teaching of your son, Jesus, whether that's John's gospel or here in Mark's gospel. And we want to pray for these few minutes uh, that in many ways I'll be pushed to the background and we will hear from King Jesus by your Holy Spirit into the lives of this dear church and those who are visiting today. And we pray that they hear less of me, more of Christ, and that we would know that we have met with you graciously, lovingly, truthfully, clearly. King Jesus, we ask. Amen. Amen. Uh, the local church, that's you, Emmanuel Church, is to be a house of prayer characterized by praying with faith and praying with forgiveness. Um, I feel we need a bit of congregational participation here. All right. So at times I'm going to ask you, Emmanuel Church, what are you? And you're going to say, we are the Lord's house of prayer. Did you try that? Emmanuel Church, what are you? We are the Lord's house of prayer. You don't sound very excited about it. Uh, Emmanuel Church, what are you? We are the Lord's house of prayer. Okay, let's think about that in a minute. Now, the setting of these verses is quite somber, really. It's Jesus' judgment pronounced on the temple in Jerusalem. Mark chapter 11. Uh, having arrived in what we know as Palm Sunday, verse 11 tells us that Jesus goes into Jerusalem, he goes into the temple, and then he looks around at everything. The king has come to inspect his place. Well, it's late, verse 11, he, he's going to come back tomorrow. And the next day, he begins to teach his disciples about what he's doing. But on the way uh, to the temple, and the next day, he's hungry, and he looks, and there's a fig tree in the distance. Uh, you had fig trees as part of your holiday club, didn't you? Uh, he goes to the fig tree, and he finds out if there is anything on it to eat. When Jesus arrives, he finds nothing but leaves. Well, it's not the time for figs and fruits. It's spring, not the summer or autumn. And so strangely, Jesus, who we know to be perfectly good, perfectly kind, pronounces a judgment upon this fig tree that he sees has no fruit. Verse 14, may no one ever eat fruit from you again, he says. Now that's not because Jesus is hangry, is it? He's teaching his disciples something about the temple. The fig tree incident is sandwiched around the temple incident. So he goes now uh, to the fig tree and that incident. Uh, he finds only leaves, he finds no fruit, and he speaks a word of judgment against it. You will never produce fruit again. Well, Jesus has already seen the temple, and he has seen the fig tree. And now Jesus acts and speaks a word of judgment against the temple. You see, he dramatically throws out those buying and selling things. He overturns the tables of the money changers and the chairs of, uh, of those selling doves. He halts the trade route through the temple in the outer courts, the courts of the Gentiles. It's as if Jesus is saying, 
Just like the fig tree, what I see in the temple is all leaves. It's all leaves and no fruit. I came to see if there's any fruit, but there was just leaves. Now, what was the fruit that Jesus looked for in the temple? He had every right to judge the temple. He was the king of the temple. He's God's very own son. Well, Jesus tells us as he teaches, uh, he quotes the words of Isaiah chapter 56. Uh, He looked for the fruit of prayer. And the welcome of the Gentiles. You see, all these things were happening in the court of the Gentiles, the outer courts, where the Gentiles, according to Isaiah, will be welcomed in to join with the worship of God, the prayer towards God. He looked for the fruit of prayer and the welcome of the Gentiles. Instead, in the words of Jeremiah chapter 7, all he found was that the house that bears the Lord's name had become a den of robbers, of bandits. The markets had taken over. The money changes were there. All, all good things kind of preparing people for the sacrifices, but in the wrong place. <laughs> uh, even the language of it becoming a den of robbers kind of speaks of, of trusting in the, in, in the temple structure or, or, or trusting in, in the nation of Israel, that, that the Lord will kind of provide for us, uh, being quite proud about that rather than humbly seeking the Lord in the very place where he is to be found. Well, the next day after that dramatic incident, verse 20, as they're walking along early in the morning, they see that same fig tree again, the one with the leaves and no fruit. And they see that the fig tree has withered from the roots up, dead. Verse 21, Peter gets it, it seems. He's looking for fruit. Jesus has looked for fruit on the tree and he found none. And so he brings the message of judgment upon that fruit tree. And now the tree is no more. Where he has seen the Lord look for fruit in his temple, he finds none. And so he pronounces the message of judgment. Could it really be that the temple will be no more? Have faith in God, uh, Jesus tells Peter and his disciples. And we know from chapter 13 that truly the temple will be no more because Christ replaces the temple. And his temple will be replaced by those who are in Christ, his disciples. The disciples themselves are the foundations for a new temple where God will dwell and he is to be worshipped and praised. Uh, The temple won't be of bricks and mortar, but the people who will form the church, built on the apostles and the prophets. Don't you yourselves know, said the apostle Peter to the church in Corinth, that you, church, are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives in you. The temple will be destroyed, but it will be destroyed because... There was no fruit. It was not a house of prayer for all nations. Now that's quite a somber kind of message, isn't it? And the the passages around this as Jesus builds up to the cross is a lot about how his judgment is going to come upon God's Old Testament people. The only way they will be saved is the only way we will be saved by his substitutionary death on the cross. Through Christ alone uh, we come to the Father. But in verse 22 to 25, when Jesus says to Peter, who is quite shocked, have faith in God, he begins to teach about what the fruit of the new temple will look like. The fruit he looks for amongst, we could say, the local church as they are the Lord's house. The local church, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, built on the gospel, now is the Lord's house. It's a house of prayer for all the nations. And the prayer life for the church 
is to be characterized, according to Jesus, by faith and forgiveness. Uh, Emmanuel Church, what, what are you? We are the Lord's house of prayer. Try again. Emmanuel Church, what are you? We are the Lord's house of prayer. Let's think about that, that phrase, first of all, the Lord's house of prayer that he talks about in verse 17. A house of prayer for all nations. It's obvious now that the church is not about a building, is it? You migrate from one building to meeting in the school to meeting back again. You're on a search for the right place to, to build a building. It's not about the building, of course. It's about being a praying people, Emmanuel. A praying people. The Lord's praying people. You are the Lord's house of prayer. The temple of the living God built upon the gospel. I wonder if you see yourselves primarily as the Lord's house of prayer. Uh, you probably heard the, the story of those students, um, kind of pastoral students who went one Sunday to hear the great Victorian preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon as he preached at the London Metropolitan Tabernacle. It was kind of the place to go to find what, what, what God was doing. Uh, the students got there early and a man offered to show them around before the service and he asked them on, on the tour if they would like to see the, the boiler room in the basement. It was a hot summer's day and so they said yes out of politeness. It was a bit weird, isn't it? Well, imagine their surprise when the man opened the door to the basement where they saw hundreds of people there praying for the service soon to take place. <coughs> that guide that showed them around, of course, was C.H. Spurgeon himself. And he reminded them that the power behind his preaching or all the ministries of the church was the fact that they were a praying church. A praying church. The Lord's house of prayer. Uh, prayer is behind the power of the church. Uh, it's the great purpose for our being here being a praying church and when prayer declines the fruit of the church declines and the local church ends up just being a bunch of leaves i wonder what emmanuel church is known for it's known for many good things i can tell you <laughs> great expository sermons praise god uh, many diverse and lively ministries no, no doubt you're kind of working through what, what can we carry on what can we change after coming out of covid wonderful but the lord looks firstly at the local church and asks whether they are his house of prayer <laughs> are you his house of prayer it says uh, they should be a house of prayer for all nations uh, that's the missional aspect even the old testament the, the temple kind of hinted with its outer court that that, that, that the foreigners and those who were excluded would, would, would be able to have come and have access even that remote way to the true worship of god of course now that that has moved to the local church through the finished work of christ it's the great kind of missional push of the church whether it's a book table or, or praying for your friends or inviting them along to the gathered church uh, that we would be a house of prayer for all nations we see all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds drawn to the worship of god uh, that is vibrant in the life of the local church um, Emmanuel, I just want to encourage you. <laughs> and you're probably scratching your heads, think, how on earth can we get back to what we were doing? And, uh, or, or how can we face the new things that the Lord wants us to do? Uh, don't overcomplicate things. <laughs> Be the house of prayer. Uh, the book of Acts tells us that the early church was devoted to the apostles' teaching, praise God, to the fellowship, relationships with each other, to the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, the ordinances, and to prayer, or to the prayers. 
They were devoted to praying. Um, uh, it's been a really interesting experience, kind of moving from um, a kind of settled ministry in a larger church where we were in, in Guildford. Um, we were like you were in a university town um, with ministry to students. It's all sorts of um, interesting things happening. The church was growing as people were kind of moving to the area, wanting to come into the church. Even during COVID, the, uh, the, ch- the church has grown as people have, have come as well. Um, now we're part of something very small, a startup, something very, very fragile. Um, and as I look back, uh, I think one of my biggest regrets is that I too, too often prioritized busyness in keeping the church running over prayerfulness, <laughs> seeking the Lord and the power uh, and what we were doing. And that's maybe one of the dangers of a larger church. The busyness, and the busyness can, can make it look like everything's brilliant. I'm sure it is here. <laughs> but behind that is the church, a house of prayer. A house of prayer for all nations with a missional heart, welcoming those that the Lord is bringing to himself, fully reliant upon the Lord. Um, I, I'm pretty convinced now, after a few months in Brighton, thinking about church, planting a new church in the city, that church planting is primarily about praying, <laughs> praying, 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 praying then the Lord opens the doors. And so is church life, I believe. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. That's the first point, the house of prayer. Make sure you're a house of prayer, Emmanuel, uh, going forwards. Uh, I can say that to the leaders. (laughs) Remember, the leaders, following the pattern of the apostles in Acts chapter 6, were those uh, who were devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word. Prayer and the ministry of the word. I think there's an order there and a priority. Um, have praying elders together. Uh, the second point, though, is the kind of fruit that the Lord looks for as the church is to be a house of prayer. The, the, the church as the house of prayer is to be characterized by faith in its praying. Have faith in God, Jesus told his disciples. Uh, you see me do this to the fig tree <laughs> as a teaching aid towards you. Have faith in God, verse 22. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, presumably he's using the Mount of Olives as a visual aid here in his teaching, if anyone says to you, to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes, there's the faith in God, that what he says will happen, it will be done for him, says Jesus. Therefore I tell you, my disciples, Everything you pray for and ask for, believe, trust, have faith in God that you have received it and it will be yours. It's slightly uncomfortable, the words of Jesus here. Slightly uncomfortable, aren't aren't they? Anyone, everything, pray with faith. Now, of course, Jesus' words here need to be understood in the light of the rest of Scripture. They don't just pluck out a few verses on their own. Um, the Victorian Bishop of Liverpool, J.C. Rowe, is very helpful here in his explanation that this promise of Jesus must, of course, be taken with, a, with reasonable qualification. This promise assumes that a believer, the disciples, will ask things which are firstly not sinful. <laughs> anything doesn't mean anything sinful. And secondly, that they will ask things which are in accordance to the will of God. Remember that he is in charge, we are not. 
But still, Jesus says anyone, anything in that context, doesn't he? Even with that qualification. Just think of how, even in Mark's gospel, um, that kind of asking went badly. Just, just look at, uh, keep your finger in chapter 11 and move back to chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 35 in your Bibles. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Just think of James and John, two of these disciples that Jesus is teaching here, and how they got their asking wrong. Chapter 10, verse 35. Teacher, they said, we want you to do whatever we ask you. Whatever. Anything. So Jesus says, well, what do you want me to do for you? Depends what it is. He asked them, and they, and, and they said, verse 37, well, allow us to sit at your right and at your left in your glory. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. The suffering that that will lead to. Jesus goes on to say, well, the whole request is wrong, and the whole group of disciples, you're wrong in your attitudes here. Whatever, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. So clearly, James and John asked for anything, but their anything was wrong with the wrong motives and even sinful because of their pride and their glory hunting. So that's an obvious example, isn't it, of, of the wrong asking. Um, but think of the right asking. Think of the Lord Jesus himself. Just flick forward to Matthew chapter 14, verse 36. Uh, sorry, Mark chapter 14, verse 36. Think of the Lord Jesus in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, chapter 14, verse 36, under great pressure as he looks upon the cup of suffering that is to come to him as he is about to go to the cross. What, what does he pray? Abba, Father, in a deepest relationship with God. Abba, Father, all things are possible with you. The affirmation of faith. All things are possible for you. Take this cup, this wrath, this suffering that I will have to experience at the, cup, at the cross. But nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will hear. Two examples. The disciples could asking for anything, but their anything was, 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 was sinful. It was selfish. And Jesus himself asking as he wrestles, as he's going to the cross, but submitting himself to God's will. So our prayers, Jesus' promises here, are not about our sinful requests, or, or is it about trying to exert our will over God? We submit ourselves to God our Father as we pray. But back in chapter 11, in these verses, don't let those qualifications dampen the point that Jesus is making here about the people of God, the church, being the house of prayer, meaning that we should pray together with faith. Pray together with faith. Now, faith, of course, is not about conjuring up something within you. It's about self-realization, <laughs> It's about stretching out your hands, the hands of your heart in prayer and putting your trust and confidence in God your Father as you pray. It's not a game. Putting your trust and confidence in God your Father. Have faith in God, Jesus tells his disciples as he teaches them about prayer. I, I sometimes worry about churches that I've come from, conservative evangelical churches, that we are so hot on the apostles' teaching that we've forgotten the equal importance of devoting ourselves to prayer. That we've forgotten 
that faith in God, saving faith, should be a growing faith outworked in the context of a praying church that seeks the Lord to be at work, especially in the context of mission. A praying church. Do you come to Emmanuel because it's a praying church? Or do you come just for the word? You should come for the word and prayer, shouldn't you? Um, maybe it's because we've just moved to a situation where we have nothing. But we, we're praying, 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 praying. I'm learning so much about prayer at the moment. Doesn't the book of Hebrews tell us in Hebrews chapter 11? Now faith, without faith, it is impossible to please God as the people of God. Since the one who draws near to God must believe that he exists. That's pretty important for a Christian, isn't it? I believe you're there, Father. And we must believe that our Father rewards those who seek him. Pray with faith. Have faith in God, says Jesus to his disciples. Emmanuel Church, what are you? We are the Lord's house of prayer. I didn't hear you. Emmanuel Church, what are you? We are the Lord's house of prayer, as well as all that God calls us to do. It's interesting, isn't it, that the Lord chooses to call his temple his house of prayer. Many other things, but he calls it his house of prayer. Well, if we are to pray with faith, in that believing way that Jesus asks us to do here, with, with the kind of caveats in mind, it means we really do have to take confidence in the power of God, the power of our Father, to accomplish all that he asks us to pray for, all that he promises. Here's an example of that. Just, just turn back to chapter 9, verse 21. Chapter 9, verse 21, uh, taking confidence in the power of God. Chapter 9, verse 21. Here is this, this father of the, the disciples are coming down, and James and John are coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration with the Lord Jesus. Um, but here is this poor father of this poor child who has this destructive demon who is causing so much trouble in the life of this child. And, and the disciples have not been able to deal with it. Uh, verse 21. Many times uh, this this. This demon has thrown my child into the fire or water to destroy him. And what does the man say to the Lord Jesus? But if you can do anything, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus picks up on those first three words. If you can, says Jesus. If you can. Everything is possible for the one who believes. Have faith in God. The father then responds to this and cries out, <laughs> I do believe. Help, help my unbelief. It's weak faith. Help it grow in you, Jesus. Of course, he heals the boy. Nothing is impossible for God. The power of God. Jesus knew it. The house of prayer takes confidence in God's power. We don't pray, Lord, if you can, please help us. But we pray, Lord, we know you can. We know you can. We know that you are the all-powerful God. We pray with faith in God's power. 
It also means not just taking faith and confidence in God's power, but also taking confidence in the fact that it's God's very plan to use the prayers of the house of prayer, the local church. It's God's plan to use your prayers to accomplish his purposes. Just look at the end of chapter 9 there, verse 28 and 29. uh, After Jesus has healed this man who has realized that his faith must be in the all-powerful God through Jesus, uh, the disciples asked Jesus privately, verse 28, well, why couldn't we drive this demon out? Verse 29, Jesus tells them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer. Nothing but prayer. Prayer is the plan, says Jesus to his disciples. Prayer is the plan. As I said, I've become more and more convinced as we move into this, this kind of missionary situation in Brighton that church planting is primarily about praying. How are the barriers to come down? How are the obstacles to be overcome? How is new ground to be broken? How are you going to meet just the right person on the book table who is asking questions whom the Lord is drawing to himself? This kind can come out by nothing but prayer. And as the, as the nation kind of follows the direction of Brighton and becomes far, far more secular and, and distant from the gospel, so the churches should realize that this kind can come out by nothing but prayer. The church is to be a house of prayer where the Lord brings in the nations. The Apostle Paul told another church, devote yourselves to prayer, the Colossians. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for us for the word. It requires prayer. Prayer is the plan. It's the means by which the Lord opens the door and accomplishes his work. It's amazing, isn't it? You think you're just coming to a prayer meeting and you're all going through the list again and, and no, half the church isn't here. I, 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 sorry, your prayer meeting might be vibrant. Um, but most prayer meetings at the moment are kind of struggling. <laughs> but when you realize that you are the house of prayer, <laughs> suddenly there's life. Suddenly the boiler room behind the preaching of the church is pumping, 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 pumping. And the Lord is saving people. The Lord is changing his people. The Lord's growing his church. So praying with faith means taking confidence in God's power, taking confidence in the fact that it's God's plan to use your praying, church. Uh, and one more lesson about praying with faith is, of course, is, is praying with not just assurance of God's power, but assurance also of God's mercy, his willingness, his disposition to help as the church prays. As the church prays. Just flick back all the way now to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 40. Mark chapter 1, verse 40. Here's the man with leprosy right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. What did the man uh, with leprosy do and say to Jesus? Verse 40 of Mark chapter 1. He came to Jesus and on his knees he begged Jesus, If you are willing, you can make me clean. The man with a demon-possessed child had issues with the ability of Jesus. If you can. 
the man with leprosy knew Jesus was able as the Son of God. He just asked whether he was willing and merciful. What's the answer to that? Verse 41. Moved with what? Compassion. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he said. Be made clean. Praying with faith means being confident and amazed at the mercy, the willingness and compassion of the risen Jesus who represents us to a willing Father in heaven to answer our prayers as we pray in faith, trusting in his character. Think of the Mark chapter 10. Don't turn to it now. There's too much going on. But Mark chapter 10, think of the man born blind who's intentionally contrasted to James and John who kind of asked their selfish request. But the man born blind uh, uh, kept crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy. He knew the ability of Jesus. He just needed the mercy of Jesus. And everyone was saying to him, shh, it's a bit embarrassing. You know, we don't do that kind of thing here, crying out to Jesus. Have mercy on me, son of David. <laughs> Nothing held him back from crying out in prayer. And Jesus then called to him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he says, he asks, I want to see. Go, your faith has saved you. Your faith. It saved you, it's healed you. All these examples in Mark's gospel about encounters with Jesus kind of back up what he's teaching about prayer here. Praying with faith remembers the power of God, his ability. It remembers that our praying is part of his plans. Uh, It remembers uh, that we can and should pray like this at a church because of the mercy and compassion of God to us in Jesus. And he is very, very, very willing to help and to answer prayer. (laughs) Emmanuel Church, what are you? We are the Lord's house of prayer. Pray with faith. Even weak faith to be strengthened. But pray with faith with faith in God. Pray without fear. He's very willing to love you and care for you and he knows what is best. Pray without doubting, as Jesus says here, trusting in the power and the mercy of God and that prayer is his plan. Lord Jesus came to the temple. He looked for fruit. Uh, The fruit of prayer, drawing in the nations, He looked for the fruit of praying with faith, but he found only leaves. Secondly, and it's an interesting one in verse verse 25 of chapter 11, uh, the house of prayer must also pray not just with faith, but the house of prayer, the local church, must also pray with forgiveness. Forgiveness. Verse 25, chapter 11. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone forgive him so that your father in heaven will also forgive you your wrongdoing anyone can pray with with faith (laughs) you can pray with faith about anything in the light of God's power and his promises but also make sure that you pray with forgiveness pray with forgiveness We often talk about praying for forgiveness, and Jesus teaches that as Christians. 
But here Jesus teaches that praying for forgiveness goes hands in hand with praying with a forgiving heart. Paul says in, in Corinthians, if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And the house of prayer says Jesus prays with faith, knowing that God will not just bring about change out there, but the house of prayer must also be where we are being changed by the God we pray to. A changing church, changing Christians. Of course, that's the difference between saying prayers, doing it more formally and going through the motions, and truly praying. Think of the Jesus parable about the tax collector and the publican who just beat his chest and said, Lord, have mercy upon me. So when you pray, either as a church or or personally, Father, forgive me from the sins that I have committed today, we can expect that moment as we are praying to think, oh, I need to forgive that person as I ask the Lord to forgive me. How can I ask the Lord to forgive me if I'm not willing to do the same to others? There is a power, you see, when you pray that God's word, his truth, his gospel starts to shape you, particularly how you've been relating to other brothers and sisters, both in the church and outside. There's the fruits of Jesus. It's more than leaves. It's about praying with faith, trusting God's power and his, and his disposition to be merciful, but also praying with forgiveness towards one another in the life of the church. Bishop J.T. Wright again says, no prayers can be heard which do not come from a forgiving heart. He says this is a heart-searching subject. Speaking in Victorian days, he says, the quantity of malice and bitterness and party spirit amongst Christians is fearfully great. No wonder that so many prayers seem to be thrown away and unheard. I'm sure it's not the case here, Emmanuel. But just in case it is, could it, could it just possibly be that the reason for a lack of prayer and lack of power in answers to prayer in the life of churches today is not, for many churches, their doctrinal orthodoxy or their commitment to the apostles' teaching, but the lack of words among them like, I'm sorry, and I forgive you. I forgive you. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against one another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. The house of prayer is a place where prayer is affecting the church and people start to move towards others and say, I'm sorry. And people start to relate to others and say, I forgive you. You are the house of prayer. To bring all that together, Emmanuel, in Christ, that's the local church, you are now the temple of the living God. And God's spirit lives in you as you gather around the gospel. You are to be God's house of prayer 
for all the nations. You are the mission strategy by, by which this secular nation will be reached for Christ. And it comes, it starts with prayer. Jesus looks to the house of prayer for the fruit of faith and forgiveness as you pray. May it be so, Emmanuel. May people be drawn to you as the house of prayer founded on the word of God. Friends, unbelieving friends, I'm sure there are some here today who are not, who are not yet aligned with Christ. This Jesus, this wonderful Jesus from Mark's gospel, from John's gospel that you're going through. Just, just get this from this. My, 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 my temple, my, my church will be a house of prayer for all nations. Just get from that that you... Even today, you, whatever you have done, whatever your background, whatever your attitude towards Jesus, you are invited, not just in that Old Testament sense, to the outer courts, the court of the Gentiles, which have been messed up by the markets. Instead, Jesus, through his cross work, his sin-paying work, invites you into the very presence of God to God the Father himself. My house of prayer is to be a place for all nations for you. And the final word to you is the first words that Jesus says. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near because Jesus has come. So you must repent and believe this good news and enter into the life of the house of prayer. Let me pray for you as we come to a close. Lord, it's so good to be sitting at the feet of Jesus. He says some challenging things to us, things that must be understood and applied to our hearts. I pray very simply that Emmanuel would be this house of prayer, not just looking good on the outside, but pumping with prayer on the inside. I pray that they would pray with faith and they would pray with genuine forgiveness towards each other, only through the cross, only through Christ, only through the gospel. Bless them, I pray, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.